0: You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Let's pray before we get into the Word today. Father, we're just grateful. So grateful. So grateful. Uh, Lord, we're we're such a mess. Uh, We have so many moments of fear, frustration, and discouragement, so many pressures that weigh upon us. And it's good for us to wait. And Spirit of God, I ask that as we wait on you and your word, that you would breathe upon us afresh, that we will have insight leaving out of here that we didn't have when we came in. Lord, that there would be grace upon us in increased measure when we go out more so than when we came in. And God, I pray that through not just our time in the word, but even fellowship after these moments as we rehearse from one to another the things that you revealed to us and that you want to continue to do. God, would you sanctify us in the truth for your word is truth, O God. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, I... uh, bring you guys greetings from Nashville. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, I serve as the director of Every Nation Music, and uh, every time I come here, I feel like they're upping the ante with every intro video. And I I was with the team this morning, I'm like, I don't know if it could get any more epic than that. I mean, no pressure at all, right? Uh, So hopefully the Lord doesn't disappoint us today. Um, But as I prayed and thought about What to share with you guys today, I really had a unique burden from the Lord to speak on somewhat of a familiar topic from a familiar passage of scripture. But before I get into that, I want you guys to, if you could put that slide up, Um, (laughs) I hear some chuckles in the room because if you have sat on any Christmas morning and happened to turn on TBS, you know that this is Ralphie. And you might not know if you haven't seen the Christmas story why Ralphie has soap in his mouth. Well, let me update you on Ralphie's situation here. Uh, Ralphie is sitting in the car on the way to a family gathering and they blow a tire on the road. Ralphie gets out of the car to help his father change the tire. And as he's holding this pan with these bolts from the tire, his dad mistakenly raises his arm too close and the bolts go flying everywhere. And Ralphie, with this uninhibited moment because he's so concerned about what's happened but forgets that he's in the presence of his dad, he says, oh, fudge. Only, and I'm reading from the actual excerpt from the movie, only, this is Ralphie's words, only I did not say fudge. I said the word, the big one, the queen mother of dirty words, the F dash 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 word. It was all over. I was dead. What would it be for me? The guillotine? Hanging, the chair, the rack, Chinese water torture. Mere child's play compared to what was waiting for me as his dad scolds him and says, get in the car. Now, the interesting thing about this experience with Ralphie is, um, and some of y'all are like, what's the big deal? I said that word before I came in the the building today. (laughs) I smashed my finger at the car door, so what's the big deal? (laughs) This relationship that we have with our tongues, with the words that we say, and it's a very complicated relationship if we're being honest. Um. And I've often thought about Ralphie and I've thought about my own life and I realize how much anxiety that I live with in terms of what I say. I feel like every day I'm on pins and needles because I'm not quite sure if I'm going to be able to tame the monster that's in my mouth. And that is the anxiety that Ralphie had. I'm sure that that's an anxiety sometimes sometimes. That you carry. But here's the thing dealing with how we communicate or what we say or the power of our tongue, is it really an issue of just taboo? I don't wanna say the wrong thing, you know, cause mama said. I don't wanna say the wrong thing cause daddy said, because grandmama said, because pastor said you ain't supposed to use those kind of dirty words. I don't wanna disappoint pastor. Is that really what's at stake? Or is there something more to this? Is God trying to reorient us in such a way where we understand the true potential of the tongue? And we're gonna read a passage of scripture in the book of James chapter three, which is gonna help us to understand, to get a grasp of the tongue's potential. In James chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading at verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or woman, able also to bridle his whole body or her own body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. A little context about the book of James James is the brother of Jesus, and James, as a family member of Jesus, has had his own trials with his tongue. If you have read through the New Testament, you know that most of Jesus' family members did not believe in him, and in some cases may have even spoke against his ministry, thought he was crazy even. And so James is uniquely situated in the story, both as a leader who is now following Jesus, understanding the power of his resurrection and the revelation of who he truly is, but he's speaking to a group of people, a a group of messianic Christians, messianic Jews, who are being shaped in the fires of poverty and oppression and persecution by the Roman Empire. And he's helping them to understand what it means to live faithfully with Jesus in the midst of this intense suffering and persecution and poverty. And if you look at James' writing, it actually kind of takes the shape somewhat of the Sermon on the Mount and somewhat of the book of Proverbs. It kind of reads like wisdom literature, like he's dropping gems on what it means to live faithfully with Jesus. In chapter 1 he talks about genuine faith and how it'll be tested and the importance of hearing and doing the word of God. In chapter 2 he addresses partiality, you know, how we treat others. How we don't create tiers of status within community, but we love one another collectively in a way that's honoring and God-oriented and that regardless of our status we all have this life to live out both in faith and works and then we get to chapter 3 where our text is and i believe that this chapter is where the book finds its hinge much like a door is connected to the house and as we read chap i mean chapter 3 verses 2 through 10 there are a few things that really stood out to me. He talks about our tongues, and you see right away in verses two through four, he sets up this contrast where we can understand that the tongue can either be a vehicle of destruction or of direction. A vehicle of destruction or direction. For we stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or woman, meaning whole, meaning complete, able also to bridle his or her own body. And if we put bits in mouths of horses, now he's giving this example or analogy of this frequently used means of transportation in the ancient world, a horse, and then he gives another example of a large ship. Now, speaking to this group of people, you got to understand they're in poverty. Most of them would have not own horses, but the horses that they would see would usually be of those in the Roman military. These incredibly powerful, noble, regal means. Of transportation and he's drawing this parallel to the tongue that there's something important something powerful something notable about the tongue but it needs a bit just like a horse needs that thing in its mouth in order to attach the reins to give it direction there's something that needs to be bridled in us In the same way, he makes that parallel of a large ship, and these large Roman warships had these little tiny oars. Sometimes they had whole rows of them, but it wasn't like our speedboats of the modern day. Big ships with little instruments to row. And the winds are blowing, tossing the boat to and fro on the waters. And so you have to understand every movement of that little oar is life or death. And he's drawing out and emphasizing the importance of this little member. This little thing that can cause direction or Destruction. But here's the question it's not just what can this do. But the real question is drawn out when we get to the end of verse 4. It says, look at the ships also, though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. The difference between destruction and direction is who's the pilot. Who's the pilot of your mouth? (laughs) Who's the pilot of my mouth? Who's the pilot? I have very little confidence that I'm able to direct on a daily basis what I say well. But I do have confidence when I think about the opportunity that's given to me, when I engage God, when I humble myself and I partner with his words. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. In John chapter 12, 49, this is Jesus talking. This is the Son of God talking. I'm not sure if we get a more spiritual person than Jesus. Can I get an amen? Here's what he says it's so interesting. This is Jesus. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but you're Jesus. You're the son of God. I've not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So even Jesus modeled for us who's the pilot. Jesus, as the living word, God incarnate, even submitted himself to the Father to say, in the Godhead, I put my trust that I would not only, I would not only speak as the word incarnate, but I would speak in partnership with what God says. Far be it from me to try to be more spiritual than Jesus. If Jesus says, I will humble myself and I will look to the Father to listen and to know what to say, then it would be incumbent upon us to understand that the difference between destruction and direction is the pilot. And the pilot should surely not be me, but it should be the Lord. Verses 5 through 7. So our tongue can either be a vehicle of destruction or direction, but it also can be a fire or it can be fertilizer. It can be fire or it can be fertilizer. Verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Some theologians say, as I was studying this, that based upon the grammatical structure of the original language, that is basically saying that the tongue gives full expression to all of the evil in the world. <laughs> we got a lot going on in here. But getting to this concept of fertilizer, it's interesting because if you notice in verse, um, just after verse 5, it kind of shifts and it starts to talk about for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature, but also makes reference to trees and a forest. That, those details kind of sound familiar, almost kind of sounds like a garden. Where do we hear about a garden? and fruitfulness, and flourishing? Well, in Genesis, where God gave his original command to be fruitful and to multiply. Are we being fruitful and multiplying with the things that we say, or are we setting ablaze all of creation, burning down all of the things that God intended for us to cultivate, to flourish, and to stewards of you know thinking about this concept of flourishing and fertilizing uh probably four or five years ago um we we look the gray family we we are not green thumb people okay all right like if we plant something it's gonna die Okay. We, we, we try, and there's lots of times we go out there, and we get really like, yeah, we're going to do this, and we're going to go out there, and we're going to till the beds, and we're going to get all the stuff, and we're going to put the things in the ground, and, and we're going to water them, and that lasts for about three days, and then a heat wave comes, and it's dead. Somebody say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's who we are, and, and the same is true of our grass. And we had neighbors across the street, and we're looking at their grass. It's all lush, and they're laying on it, rolling around like carpet, and they're playing with their grandbabies, and there's no animals or tits or anything. They're just rubbing their hair in the grass, and this grass is wonderful. Our grass is brown and dead, and weeds as tall as your knees. So we said, we're going to do something about this, and we dialed up a phone number, and this guy said, we're going to come out, and we're going to spray it and kill it, and we're going to start all over. And he came, and he sprayed it and killed it, and there was more weeds than we ever had. And we said, what's wrong with you? We spent all this money. You came out here. You killed our grass, and there's twice as many weeds. You clearly don't know what you're doing. This was a scam. I want my money back. But well, come to find out, you know, all Craigslist posts aren't created equal. <laughs> Some people actually be on their scamming. <laughs> like, oh yeah, i take care of that for you. Just give me $2,000. <laughs> oh really, you can? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually call somebody who knew something about gardening and asked them for a referral. And here's what was so interesting when he came out. He looked at our grass, and he said, oh, so I see what you guys did. You guys thought that by killing it, something good will come back. He said, but the thing about grass is the only way that you're going to deal with the weeds is if you plant more healthy grass. See, some of us are looking in our lives and we're trying to curtail the bad words that we use. But the real issue isn't how many bad words that we use. It's how many good words we're speaking. That God has done a work in us where we should be overseeding our lives with his goodness. A fire or a fertilizer. Proverbs says in 18, 20, 21, from the fruit of a man or woman's mouth, his or her stomach is satisfied. He or she is satisfied by the yield of their lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Jesus said it this way, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his or her mouth speaks fire or fertilizer, destruction or direction or blasphemy or blessing. Blasphemy or blessing. In verse 8, it says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so blasphemy or blessing. The most poignant part of the story that I can think of where there was. Blessing and cursing happening in the most intense way possible is on the hill of Golgotha. The crowds have been mocking Jesus. The Romans have been cursing and mocking Jesus. And as Jesus is having some of the worst abuse heaped upon him as he hangs from the cross with his body marred and bloody and in excruciating pain. He looks down in the midst of the cursing. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He speaks a word of blessing in the midst of some of the most intense cursing this world has ever known. And he's looking upon God's image Bearers who are cursing him. The people who have been made in God's image to bless and to steward and to cultivate and to flourish are heaping curses upon him as he is being broken, as he is being bloodied for their sake. And he says to these image bearers, forgive them. He is practicing what he has preached earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Who would have known that some weeks later, he would have to put his own words into practice in a way that the world has never seen before. Now, as we move to prayer, this is probably, this is the point in every message, and this is one of those passages in particular where right about now, one of two things are happening. You're either feeling incredibly guilty or you're feeling incredibly convicted. Guilt for those who, out of their own strength, have tried to live up to these standards religiously, and there is actually no hope of you doing it because you don't have the power to accomplish God's purposes. But the others in the room who are feeling that sense of conviction. They understand that it's only by the Spirit's power that they're able to accomplish these things, but they just have been missing the mark. And this is the spectrum that we slide from guilt and condemnation to conviction and repentance. So what do we do? As we move to this conclusion, what should be our response to understanding that this little member in our mouths can be a vehicle of destruction or direction? It can be a fire or a fertilizer. It can be full of blasphemy or it can be full of blessing. What should be our response? We're going to take a quick look at a couple responses, one out of the Old Testament and one out of the New. Isaiah, the prophet. has a startling realization about his mouth. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 5 he says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then... One of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me having his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. Isaiah, as he's being called into this prophetic ministry, as he's being called into the very means and method by which God would deliver his people, to speak prophetic words of blessing, God had to do a cleansing with his mouth. Yeah. Now, we don't understand in modern terms all of this grabbing the coals with the tongue and all this stuff. It just sounds weird, right? But in their time, when you used the words atonement, it meant that something was being burned in your place and taking your sin away. So the coal being pulled from the fire was symbolic of Isaiah's sins with his mouth being atoned for. Him being delivered. Him being reoriented to be that prophetic voice that he was meant to be. To speak the words that God would give him that would shape a nation. Really quickly, if we jump over to the New Testament, there's a similar parallel. Here you have, throughout the book of John, the disciples. And they're having trouble with their words. Peter is speaking words of denial about Jesus. Peter is telling Jesus, you won't die. You won't go to the cross. I got your back not understanding that his words were not in line with God's purposes. We see words of despair from Mary and John and Peter as they enter the empty tomb and realize they think the body has been stolen. They're in despair. They're confused. They don't understand, and this word gets spread. Words of doubt from Thomas. I won't believe until I see his scars, until I touch them with my own hands. Words of discouragement from Peter Jesus is dead. I'm going fishing. Oh, but what they didn't know is Jesus was about to do something about that tongue. Because in Acts chapter 2, we know that they were waiting on the Lord. They were praying and crying out to God in the upper room. And it says that there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the place where they were gathered and that tongues of fire came. And this is not a message about spiritual gifts. This is a message about the tongue being restored. Because the same Peter that spoke words of denial, the same Peter that spoke words that were out of alignment with God's purposes, where Jesus had to turn to him and say, get behind me, Satan, is the same Peter that stands up on the day of Pentecost and declare words of blessing over the nations. (laughs) Something shifts in God's people. When the spirit of God comes to do that restorative work where we regain our prophetic edge. Where we have the understanding and also the power by the spirit to speak the words of blessing that he always intended for us to speak. And you can read all throughout Acts that these people who were in despair, that were in discouragement, that were cowardly, that were broken, that had no hope, suddenly become these ambassadors who were preaching the gospel. Ambassadors who were speaking words of wholeness and healing. Ambassadors who were praying and seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. People who are praying that the dead would be raised and they're lifted up so there's something that happens in the mouth when God becomes the pilot and that wasn't just for them that's for me and that's for you I want to do more praying than complaining I want to do more prophesying than commiserating. I want to see more healing than I see words of death being spoken over situations.